and and we're drinking hot chocolate. I've never had hot chocolate while recording a podcast before. All right, so there's a first. There's a first for everything. And um, hmm, what question did I want to start with? What did I want to ask you? I had something in mind. I'm sure it'll come. It will. Thanks for being here, man. Uh, yep. Finally, get into podcast together, and we, you know, we've been training uh, jujitsu for like three years together now. Yeah. Uh, Thank you for having me, man. Yeah. I remember when you came into the gym, and uh, you were doing CrossFit. And you were strong, and I was like, "Oh shit!" And I was strong. <laughs> yeah. I was like, "Fuck, this kid's hard to roll with." I was new. I was so new, mm-hmm. and and you had had some experience then, right? How long have you been training for, like, total now? I think 10 years, but on and off a lot. So I probably did five years worth of training ten in those 10 years. on and off, yeah. Yeah, when I came in, you you definitely had a few years on me. And I remember training with you, and we were both white belts at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, I was like, oh, this guy's good. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I can get to that level. <laughs> I mean, you're there now, right? I like to think I got better. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> So did you, man. And it's cool because we've been, um, you know, like you, you got your blue belt back then and then COVID happened and then we started training together very consistently. And so we've been progressing at sort of at the same rate, maybe some different techniques here and there and, um, strategies, but, um, you know, when you're training with someone consistently and it's hard to tell if you've actually improved cause they've also improved and you're like matching each other's moves and energy. Exactly. And that's the one thing that I needed to learn as I've been on this martial arts journey, because sometimes you get selfish and you're like, I just want to keep improving. And you're like, yo, why can't I tap this person anymore? Why can't I do this? (laughs) It's like, oh, yeah, they're getting better. We're all getting better. And then Mm -hmm. so you should look at it a little bit like a team sport as opposed to just like an individual sport. Yeah, it is a team sport. And that's why you like you can you go to tournaments and you get to train with other people or like compete against other people. And you, what I notice is you have like an entirely different like tool belt than other schools. Right. Cause look at like our instructors, they have their favorites and their technique and their um, ways of teaching and doing things. And we're naturally going to learn that. Mm-hmm. And maybe some stuff we see on uh, Instagram and YouTube mm-hmm. um, or if we travel, but other people have like entirely different influence and might have a totally different game. And sometimes like that can work in our favor. That's kind of the fun part with all the different schools, like 10th planet, like my friend Arturo, like he's in 10th planet and they're known for being yeah, like wonky and doing weird leg stuff and always being very creative. And then I guess we're kind of under like the Henzo Gracie, like our teachers studied under them where mm. it was a little bit more self-defense and kind of like it's a fight oriented. And yeah, I don't know. It's fascinating. You get all these different styles. A lot of people feel as though MMA kind of ruined martial arts a little bit in the sense where hmm. now everything is like blended where before there was all these colors, right? Like it's like Taekwondo versus sumo versus capoeira versus like everything was very unique and segmented where now everything's kind of blended together. You can like relate it to like globalization, like, you know, like your culture's not so (laughs) unique anymore. Like now it's just a blend of westernized, everything's mixed. Yeah. But there's still 
differences as long as you go deeper into it, you know? Oh, there's a lot of differences. Yeah. I noticed like, and I haven't trained MMA. Um, I mean, I've trained jujitsu. That's it. And what I see in MMA is there's the different styles that you can apply, but it depends on where you are. Like once, once you're on the ground, it's jujitsu. And then there's aspects of like MMA, like you're when you have an opportunity to hit, but most of the time guys are going to the floor and they're doing jujitsu unless they're, they get up and then, and then they're doing something else. They're wrestling or boxing or Muay Thai or something like that. Exactly. And then it's a different styles of jujitsu because there's some people that get taken down on the ground. They're like, okay, cool. I'll stay here. Mm-hmm. And then there's other people that are like, I'm just going to get up. It's like, I'm using my jujitsu to get up. Like, cause what's the yeah. point of being a close guard? <laughs> so yeah, it's kind of cool. You see people's personalities come into play. Yeah. Like with how they fight or how they do anything. I think there's something to that. Like, uh, what's that quote? Like how you do anything is how you do everything. Yeah. And I, and I, I feel like fighting does bring that out because mm. it's instinctual. Like, it's just like, it is what, what feels right. Like, yeah. oh my God, I'm scared a little bit. And like, so I got to do this. And so that's probably how you do a lot of other things in life too. Oh, that's really interesting. Cause you go to what you feel really comfortable with. Yeah. Right. Especially in stressful yeah. situations. Mm-hmm. I notice if I'm like clinched up, um, in like, and we're standing in jujitsu, I'm going to try to pull. I'm going to try to pull guard typically. <laughs> well, lately, no, because I'm experimenting with other things. But if I can get my legs involved, I'm happy, mm-hmm. you know, and that's just my natural thing. And honestly, if I'm on my back, I'm also cool. Like, I'm good. I'm, I'm not like um, I usually don't try to fight that. Like, if I get there, I get there and I'm like, all right, let's go. Let's do this. And it's interesting how, like you said, how you do everything, how you do anything is how you do everything. Like, how does that tie in to the rest of your behavior, like your, your personality, you know, if, if jujitsu, if MMA is like a snapshot of everything else. (laughs) Yeah. I think, uh, the way I do anything is I kind of do it, uh, with a mix of like fun and taking a chance, you know, and I just kind of like dive in because mm. otherwise if I think about something, I'm not good at doing it. And then once after I dive in, it's like, okay, now we got to study it mm. and how it works. But, uh, I was never very good at, uh, preparing before starting something like I couldn't do that. I'll just, I have to walk in. Otherwise I'll psych myself out. And well, we talked about the, that before and coming over here, you, when you teach, like you don't have full lesson plans, you just show up, you have bullet points and you, you go. Exactly. Right. Same thing with this podcast. Like I don't have a, an agenda really, maybe some questions I'd like to ask at some point. And there's one thing about me. I hope I frame this properly, but I think there's like this duality, like everything has two sides at least. And so going to that point you made about like my bullet points with my lesson if I have just bullet points and I kind of walk in and I freestyle the class, I'm going to be very authentic and it's going to come off good, but I'm going to miss certain topics. And where if I have everything laid out, I'm going to be rigid. Mm. I won't miss anything, but I'm going to be less authentic. 
So either way, I'm gonna there's gonna be something that's gonna irritate me a little bit. <laughs> and so the, the thing that I am okay with being irritated about is all right, I missed something, but at least I was authentic and the people yeah. are gonna learn from me because I think it'll resonate more. Yeah. And so that's kind of I think why my anything is like, all right, just be authentic. Just kind of go in and see what happens. You know, when I grew up, uh, I grew up playing music and like performing and, you know, when, when you're learning how to play music, you make so many mistakes. And I remember one of my um, teachers um, saying something like, it's okay to make mistakes because no one's going to notice except you. Mm -hmm. If you miss, if you miss a note, um, if you miss a phrase, if you miss something, if you can get back on track, that's great. But if you miss or you play the wrong thing, like very few people are going to notice unless they know exactly like what you're supposed to be doing. But that's rare. Um, and then I got into improv, like imp improvising on guitar or something like you just play whatever you want over a certain like structure. And then there's even more freedom. And so like you can just do whatever you want. And no one's going to notice it because it's like authentic, right? So there's like the balance between the two. You could play a song like really structured and, and be rigid and follow every single note and get every single thing right. But where's the, uh, where's the expression in that? Where's mm -hmm. like the personalized expression? As a teacher, I imagine like the authenticity is more valuable too because it creates more trust between you and the students and then they're more likely to retain and well one listen but also retain whatever you do teach so even if you miss stuff like they might have an incomplete knowledge set but they'll have that knowledge like better like better ingrained because they'll say yeah i trust him because he was actually just taught speaking freely exactly you know because in the end, what's the goal? The goal isn't that I feel good about my lesson. The goal is that the kids learn something. Something, yeah. Right? And so, yeah, I feel like that authenticity would bring that. And even if I did miss something, like I always try to impart on my students, I'm like, yo, you can only learn so and so much in these 40 minutes or three-hour lecture. My real goal is that I, you know, like light some curiosity in you where you go <laughs> home and you have some interest in something. Yeah. You know, and, th and then that's where you're really going to learn because that's where you have hours and hours and hours mm -hmm. and time to pontificate and think and yeah. be yourself. So, yeah, in the end, that's like my something you know, I learned um, coaching CrossFit. Right. And I've done, man, if I did the math, 10,000 classes at this point. I learned after a while because I tried to pack in a lot of information and get people to learn how to move well and, you know, learn about the exercise and also get a great workout in. And that's all great. Um, but from a business perspective, that's really hard because I'm just like overloading people with information. They're actually unlikely to come back <laughs> after a while. They're like, this is too much. Or you push people a little too hard, right? Like in a workout. And they're unlikely to come back. In jujitsu, like you can just shatter someone's soul. Like what's the odds of a white belt getting their soul destroyed and actually coming back the next day? It's, it's unlikely. And so the difference now is like, okay, I can hold back. I can focus on like, okay, maybe I give them like one thing to think about and go home with. But ultimately my real intention is I want them to want to be here.
mm-hmm. and want to like go home saying that was amazing. I can't wait for tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I can't wait for Noob's next like like lecture. That was so good. That's a rare. When I went to college, I didn't get a lot of that. Like a lot of my professors, some of them were great. Some of them though, oh, man, it was like, are we done yet? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I got pages of notes, but I didn't learn anything. And like, I'd rather be outside in the sunshine. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's why I like something. I do bring my class outside once in a while. Do you? Yeah, we like sit amongst the trees. You got to switch it up. You got to know your students. You got to know your market. You know, like some people need, Mm -hmm. I like the story you were saying about your teacher that was like, they don't know if you made a mistake with the notes. Yeah. Because I also just watched that movie Whiplash. Do you watch it? I've seen it. Yeah. Yeah. Where like the teacher is like the meanest teacher in the world, but like that's his motivation to get somebody to be like amazing. So if you want to be the greatest at something, all right, you got to deal with everything, you know, and you want people to punish you. But also, like, my students, I teach Introduction to Geography. So I tell them in the beginning of the semester, my goal is I don't want you to be dumb. And I, I'm assuming some of you are dumb because I've seen statistics about how people read maps. So that's my goal. But if I taught a master's level course, then I would be harder on them. You know, and if I taught a doctorate level course, I'd be even harder on them. So like yeah. you said, white belts. You're teaching white belts. Yeah, yeah, don't murder white belts, you know. But then once they're like a brown belt, like, sure, maybe you got to murder them. To make them sure, like, hey, you're going to become a black belt. Like, you got to reach that other level. Well, at that point, right, when someone, you know, even if someone's like in their fourth year of college or let's say they have a purple belt, they are so bought in to that thing. They're not leaving. Mm -hmm. It's very unlikely. Like someone who's been in the thing and, and seen progress, one, like, well, that's that's one point. They've seen progress. And so they're like, okay, I know the value of this. I feel it. I've gotten results. I'm going to keep going. And a master's degree, like, yeah, they're, they're there and they don't give a shit. If you're a bad teacher or a good teacher, they're there anyway, mm-hmm. for the most part. They'll also become better students. I always, yeah. I tell my students that too. I'm like, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but like, I know I'm interesting and I could be funny. And I'm like, but I know you guys have other teachers that you don't find interesting, but half of that is on you. Like lay them up some questions, like, you know, make some comments, like bring something to the class Mm -hmm. where now the teacher could work off of it. Because I was like, I know you look at me like a teacher, but in many ways I look at myself a little bit like I'm an entertainer a little bit too. Like I'm Mm -hmm. putting on a little bit of a show. I'm teaching you something for three hours. Like I have to talk a lot about a lot of things. Yeah. And you guys get bored at these teachers, but you're not raising your hand. You're not answering. Like, you're not like, it's a date where the other person doesn't talk, you know, like it's not really <laughs> interesting. So I try to put it on them as well. Like, Hey, help me make it interesting. Yeah. You can't just put it all on the person in the front. Have you done any, um, like any training on public speaking or anything like that? No, but I've just always been the person that spoke publicly. Like I always yeah. got picked in class to like read or I got like an, I was really my main motivation, if you want to know, for public speaking was uh, in senior year of high school. I asked this girl to prom and I couldn't get the words out Ooh. and I embarrassed <laughs> myself. And then uh, I was like, I'm not going to be like that anymore. Yeah. I got to be able to talk. Like, I got to get the words out. And it could be in any situation. So it's like you're asking somebody for 
directions to go somewhere, like speak confidently, like, you know? And so I chose every time I spoke, I took it as like a little practice. Mm-hmm. And I think it was like that kind of mentality of just like intention that made me better at it than like actual. And I'm sure I would watch YouTube video. I would watch people. I'm like, yo, that guy has presence, you know, like mm-hmm. Freddie Mercury has presence. And then you take from everybody like Obama. Yeah. I thought Obama had it. What you said about the notes was interesting. Like nobody knows if you have a bad note. When you become really great at something, even when you mess up, people think you did it on purpose. Mm-hmm. And Obama was very good at like talking and then pausing for a long time. And if that was anybody else, people would be like, why is this guy pausing all the time? Like he doesn't know what he has to say. But when Obama did it and he'd pause, people were like, oh, he's thinking or he's mm. emphasizing the time or he's using the silence as a weapon instead of just his words. And so it's kind of like music. Yeah, have fun too with it. Be free with it. There's There are rules, but they're really more like guidelines. Yeah. It's how you um, react when you make a mistake. Like when, mm. you, when you're asking a girl out to prom, Imagine your palms are all sweaty and you're like, <laughs> uh, you're like not making eye contact. You're like, Hey, you, you want to like go to prom? Exactly. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> exactly. That's exactly. The but that's the reaction. But you could totally f- like fuck up. And I've done this before, man. In public speaking, I've been doing for a long time, uh, teaching and playing music. All of these th- like opportunities for me to perform and, and make mistakes. And I've done it before where I make a mistake and I'm like shaking and sweating and oh man, I had to learn so fast, Mm -hmm. like how to control my nervous system, you know, Mm -hmm. because that's like, you know, fight, flight or freeze the the nervous system responses. And when you're in a, it's a a stress response, that's the, that's the freeze typically. Sometimes I would even just like walk away, (laughs) like just fuck, I can't do this. I've done that before too when I was young. Yeah, there's one time I remember I did that at a job interview. and You yeah, did? Yeah, you got to just take it as a loss sometimes and then be like, all right, but I'll do better next time. Mm-hmm. Right? Nobody's going to be perfect 100% of the time. And yeah, the online, the, the speaking in front of people, I remember when I was like teaching, I told people it's the same exact feeling I get before sparring or like a little fight. Like it's something that I want to do. Like I came to the gym, like I'm chose this job as a teacher, but it's also like, Oh, this is going to be a little bit difficult and you got to navigate it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's reps too. repetition. Yeah. The more you do something, the more you recognize that, um, you have holes to fill, right? There's gaps. I was actually talking to someone the other day. Um, she was, she was saying she wanted to, um, get better at writing. Like she wanted to be a, a good writer. And so I asked her like, how are you going to do that? Um, which is a sales technique, by the way, there, <laughs> it's like I'm leading her down into this like sales conversation. But I asked her like, how are how are you going to become a better writer? And she said, Oh, well, you know, practice 10,000 hours to perfect it. Right. That's if you ever heard that. And I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, I've heard that. Um, I don't agree with it, but I've heard it. And, you know, the 10,000 hours thing to become a master, I forget who wrote that. That's in some book. Malcolm Gladwell. Malcolm Gladwell, yeah. It's it's flawed. It's missing something. 10,000 hours of doing the same thing over and over is not going to get you better. 10,000 hours of intention and practice is going to get you significantly better. Mm -hmm. There's also the speed because you can go 10,000 hours over 20 years. Mm Mm-hmm. Or you can do, 
you can compress time and do 10,000 hours in six months if you have a certain speed and intensity to your training, right? Imagine doing jujitsu and you just tap 10,000 times because you're not sitting there holding yourself in a position where you know you need to tap. What's the point of that? Like, okay, he got me to this position. I could sit here and fight it, fight my way out, or I can try again, right? You're given like a five-minute window, an eight-minute window in, a, in a, a round. I've been thinking about this, actually. Like, how many times can I get to like a shitty position and just like, once I get there, we start over. That actually frustrates people more than anything. Like, you roll in with someone and you just keep tapping and they're like, why, do you, why are we starting over? Why do you keep tapping so fast? No, I- <laughs> but I want to rep out the movement of getting to there. Like, why did I get there in the first place? Let me avoid that problem instead of sitting here and trying to get out. Like there's value into escaping and finding a way to like get out of the thing, out of the stuck. But there's way more value, in my opinion, in getting close to it and then avoiding it. Yeah. Right. I agree. I had a, there was a lady, Caroline, I remember at my old gym and like somebody had me in like a Kimura or a choke lock and it was already in tight. Mm-hmm. But I was just using all my strength and like, like I was just yeah. like, I was like, I'm not tapping. And it was like, I was there for like a minute and a half. And she's like, all right, a few things. One, you're eventually going to get hurt. One, two, and somebody good. That's yeah. going to do that. Two, you just wasted a minute and a half of rolling time. Mm-hmm. You could have just tapped, been like, fuck, you're in a bad position. They got it. It helps your teammate out. And now you have another minute and a half to practice other things. Yeah. And then, yeah, that's like where you need to lose your ego a little bit and you got to like listen to other people. And, but I agree with you. I think that is a more valid technique because you're using your those minutes more wisely. Mm-hmm. It's also just knowing how to uh, train and how to practice. And also there's a difference between those things. Like practice is repetition without any sort of intensity. It's just movement based, right? I can practice rear naked chokes on my toddler. I'm not going to finish it, (laughs) (laughs) but I'll get the, I'll like just rep the position, wrap it out, go into it. Right. I wouldn't do that. (laughs) I do that actually. I'm kidding. (laughs) We do that. Um, I hold him in, in like, I hold him from the back and I like try to get him to wiggle out and then I'll take him, take his back. Yeah, that's good. Get him, get him started. Get him used to. I notice he's getting used to like just repping, like, and assuming the positions and moving in a certain way. It's cool. Uh, and then there's training, which is, all right, we need to go at a certain intensity, um, but with but with intention. And the intention comes from like, what do I want to get out of this? What is the purpose of this? And that's like what we just talked about. You know, you can you can train just like hold me inside control until I throw up or right? that's training. Like, I'm just going to try to escape or, you know, anytime we get to side control, I'm going to re- we're going to reset. Mm-hmm. Right. Anytime you get me into this position, we're going to just reset immediately. A drill comes in there and, and then you do it with like effort. You're going to get good real fast, really fast. And I forget how we got into this conversation about training um, and practice and like the, the concept of 10,000 hours. Right. Um, but I think it's a valuable um, concept. You mentioned something before about um when I asked you, have you done any public speaking training? You said, no, not officially, right? Just like always been doing it. And I'm curious, like now, uh, 
you know, you've been, you're 37, 36, right? You've been teaching for so long at this point, public speaking. Do you notice um, areas where you could improve and get better? So I'm a little arrogant. I, I, think, I'm, <laughs> I think I'm amazing. <laughs> um, okay. It really, I could improve with not forgetting some of the things I missed. Hmm. And like I said, like that's always the thing that irritates me. Yeah. And so I've done public speaking as a teacher. I've also had like a startup where like I had to raise money. Like I was always like yeah. speaking at events, like nonprofit type stuff. Like I used to throw like uh, events to like raise awareness for like different nonprofits. So, and the podcast, you, you have a podcast have a too. Podcast like you, you're speaking. Fighting. Yeah. yeah. So my always like issue is like, fuck, I forget something. Mm. And, and, that's all it is. Or maybe me and you are having a conversation and, oh, there might be a point that I had, but then it doesn't come back up. And I'm like, oh, I would have liked to bring that up. So just having a better memory is something that I want to work on. But I also enjoy smoking spliffs and like, you know, and like <laughs> relaxing. And so like, yeah, I also have Give to know take. myself, Yeah, you know, and that's like kind of one of the things where like I've gotten a little bit better at. You did, you did say uh, something about, you know, when you're teaching your students, it's like a performance and like you need them to participate in a way. Like, let's make this interesting, right? Mm -hmm. Is that something you can improve on getting them to engage? I mean, my students are pretty good compared yeah. to like the other kids because I challenge them. Like, I, I'll exactly what I told you. Like, I'll tell them. I'm like, are you the type of student that thinks, like, other teachers suck? Yeah. Are you also the type of student that just sits there with their thumb up their ass? Like, you know? And <laughs> and I'll, like, look at them and they'll be like, oh, shit, I am. Like, you know? Yeah. I'm like, reflect on that. Like, and I don't know if a lot of teachers can do that, but I mm -hmm. grew up in Staten Island. And yeah. I have friends that were, like, ball busters and shit on each other. Yeah. And so I don't take making fun of people as being I don't love you. Like, mm. you know what I mean? I take making fun of people as I do love you. Mm. And my students, I love, like, you're my students. Like, I really believe in, like, that Indian philosophy of, like, teachers are, like, almost holy and your students are almost holy and, like, mm -hmm. you're doing it together. And so, yeah, I bust their chops and I'll tell them, like, look, I got a C-plus average when I graduated college. Like, I didn't care about certain things, but I care about being smart. Hmm. And I don't want you guys to be dumb and reflect on yourselves. Do you feel dumb? If you feel dumb, then in this class, I promise you, you're going to feel smarter after. Hmm. And if you feel smart, then use that and give me some of that, like towards mm -hmm. the class and give it to other people, like have some pride about it. And generally they'll respond. Some people don't wake up out of it, but I know like maybe the next teacher will get it. So at least I put it out there. But yeah. I think everything is a performance, almost like everything is sales. Mm -hmm. Like no matter what you're doing, everything you're, is sales. Yeah. Right. If everything is sales, everything's every like the way you do anything is the way you do everything. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I, I kind of see it that way. That's that's what I um, it, even in sales, like you just described a sales technique called future pacing. You're you're helping them to see the other side of where they're at now mm -hmm. um, or pre framing. Right. If you're about to teach a certain thing pre-frame it give them context right if you're going to give them a certain lesson on something you say hey this is why we're doing we do this exactly you know if you struggle with this this and this problem if you think you're dumb right and you can't learn well here i'm going to show you that you can so it's not really like you're definitely calling out some bullshit 
for sure. You're, I don't know if it's making fun of them. What I like to think about that as is like you're giving them a little dose of reality. Sure. And most kids, dude, at this fucking point in like history, kids don't get enough reality. Yes. They get so like pampered and they're handheld through everything. And they're like, we talked about like your philosophy before. And I don't know if you want to get into that, but like what happened with uh, your substitute teaching. Yeah, we could get into it. Like, you know, there's, there's, for lack of a better term, pussyfooting around mm-hmm. in order to like appease certain aspects and make people look good instead of improve the child's situation and well being in life. It just doesn't exist as, as it used to. And I can't even, I don't even know if I can speak on that because it was like that when I grew up too. And um, I, I think here, here's a better way of positioning that. I imagine we could do better. We could do way better with meeting kids um, where they're at and helping them to see what is versus what we think it should be. Yeah, Sure. We're just trying different things. Like, yeah. I, I agree with what you said about they don't get a dose of reality. So I was telling Matt how I was substitute teaching at a terrible middle school. <laughs> and these kids were like, the teacher before me quit. And then like the other subs quit. And then like even one lady was like, I'm surprised you came back. Like these kids were horrible. And so I was mean to them. I was like, sit down. Like kids were like almost fighting. I was like, what's wrong with you? I was like, and then they're like, I'm going to tell my dad. And I was like, please, I want to talk to your parents. I want to see who raised you. Like, you know, like, (laughs) sure. Like, I'll be a little combative. Like, I don't believe kids should have this mentality like that. They could fuck you up. And they were talking to me like they were like, I want to fight you. And in my head, like I was a I was a semi bad student. I mentioned earlier, I was like a C plus student. Like I would fall asleep in class. But I was never like, I'm going to fight the teacher. Like to me, that's a higher level of disrespect. Yeah, And in my head, like, I don't know, I'm old school. Like, if this was like an old Catholic school or if this was India, like, I would fucking smack you. And I'm not saying that as like, oh, I like beating kids. But like, yeah. how is that kid going to learn how to keep his mouth shut a little bit? Like, because if he's going to get in trouble and this kid's from yeah. the projects. So he's going to say it to somebody that could fucking stab him. Where at least me, like, it's just like I could give him a little smack and be like, shut the fuck up. Like, you know, go to the principal. But the idea is like they could verbally abuse you. And as the teacher, you have to just take it where they were like, oh, no, no, no. You shouldn't have yelled like you shouldn't have said that you wanted to see his father. Why? What should I have said? Like, I I should have been like, let me vote. I can't teach the other 25 kids when four kids are shitty. Can you even send them to the principal's office anymore? (laughs) The principal doesn't do nothing. And in fact, the teachers yell at the principal and then the teachers have to pass the kids because then the school will lose funding. Yeah. And so everybody's doing, the teachers are not doing much because they don't want to lose their jobs and they're just stressed and tired. Mm-hmm. The students aren't doing much because they're pampered and taken care of and their parents are still going to love them. The principal's not doing much because the principal knows like, hey, I, I'm, I have a cushy job where I'm making 180K and yeah. I'm doing the right thing. I teach a school, which is great, but it's like, don't you want to get better and better? And so nobody's doing the right thing. And mm-hmm. then like, here I am where I feel like I'm doing the right thing where I'm like yelling at the kids and I'm trying hard. Like I don't have to sub at this school. I could sub at like some other school where it's like so much easier in a nice neighborhood. But I like the challenge. Mm. And then I get reprimanded. So it's like doing the right thing sometimes punishes you. But I'm in a position where 
I don't need this job so much and I don't need certain things so much. And I do like, like to experiment and try things. So like Hmm. I'm going to do it, but I'm not like the average everyday teacher. And so like you coast, you coast, you coast. And then these kids like end up in high school or college and then they're fucking stupid. And that's the truth. And then like that makes me nervous about our society as a whole. Hmm. Like they're like, you can't verbally abuse them. I was like, first of all, I didn't verbally abuse them. But this kid screamed in my face. What am I supposed to do? Just you could say, have arm dragged him and took his back. That's what I'm saying. I should, <laughs> I should have been like, oh, this is the game you want to play? I should be able to push you up against the door yeah. and look you in the face and be like, scream in my face one more time. And let's mm-hmm. see what happens. And it's interesting because I've been watching a lot of videos about teachers fighting students. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I'm on Reddit a lot. And normally Reddit is like super liberal, like being like, how dare like these things happen? And now lately I've seen videos of teachers fighting students and people being like, these fucking students, like they're all on the teacher side. And there's a, <laughs> there's a teacher in Washington, DC. He was a black guy. And there was like, there's a black kid that started calling him the N word. And he's like, I don't believe in that. Like, you know, don't say that to me. And then they started throwing shit at him and he grabs the kid and he throws him on the ground. And then one of his friends come and he beats the shit out of these two kids. He literally quits the next week. Like he gets his pension and there was a GoFundMe that was started and he got half a million dollars. Like the people were like, yo, I'm backing up this teacher. And so I'm like, all right, maybe there needs to be a little bit of this like old school mentality back. Like don't just spank kids for being bad. But you know what they used to do in India? My dad said like if they got like a number, like a question wrong or something, they'd be like, all right, do 10 squats. Mm -hmm. Good. We won't be fat anymore. Right. Like, good. I should be able to tell a kid that like is fucking up and messes up a stupid question. Like they can't appoint. They can't point to where Mexico is on the map. Do 10 squats. Why not? Like, what's so bad about that? Is that humiliating? Like, what, you can't do squats? Like, that should be humiliating, that you can't do squats. And this is the way to start doing squats, you know? Hmm. I don't know. Maybe I'm too mean. <laughs> As you can see, I'm passionate about this. Like, there's a, lot to, there's a lot there, a lot of threads we can pull. Have you read the book Spark before or heard of it? Uh, no. No? I don't think so. Spark. It was uh, written by Dr. John Rady, and he, um, I believe he ran the experiment, or there was an experiment. He researched it on um, students in a school in Illinois where they had the students, they, they, they ran a test like um, with students who didn't exercise and students who did, and what they did is like they had the students in the, like, in the morning do five minutes of intense exercise and then take tests or then like go through their day. Uh, I'm, I'm paraphrasing something around these lines and then students who had no exercise at all. Uh, and then they would just experiment with like switching their gym period to like first period versus later. The students who um, did f- at least five minutes of intense exercise, like jump rope, running, things like that. Um, scored significantly higher mm-hmm. on all testing mm-hmm. because of a lot of reasons. Like it gets you to focus. Like when you're when your heart rates up, you're just gonna not be a dick as much. You're gonna have to catch your breath, right? It also um, promotes uh, BDNF, brain derived neurotropic factor, which is a, a chemical compound in the brain that promotes learning and development. You actually make connections faster. And so I don't know why this came to mind when you said like, yeah, do 10 squats. You'll actually remember. Something. Yeah. And you'll also focus better. You're also getting some squats in. Fascinating book, by the way. It's, if anyone listening 
It's a um, win-win. Love that book. Yeah, and you get blood to the brain, right? Like simple things like that. Yeah, you get little the blood things. Circulating. Yeah, like like all right, you need to wake up, bro. Have you had coffee yet? No, let's do some some like squats real quick. And you know, I've seen people, <laughs> I've seen people put like a rubber band on their wrist or something, where like if they think something they don't want to think, or if they mess up, they'll just like snap the rubber band a little. It's just like a little reminder. Yeah, you know, like nothing pain, like, and yeah, that's the idea behind the squat, like, and mm. and then some people might be like, but that's embarrassing, and. Who, who, to who? To the kid. Like, you know, if you make him like do squats and everybody's sitting there because he made a mistake. But then to me, it's like a little bit of embarrassment is good. Like, you know what I mean? We're not trying to humiliate like people, but it's like, okay, well, you don't want to be embarrassed next time. I would love to humiliate people. (laughs) Humiliation comes from humility. Oh, (laughs) that's a good. When when has humility not been useful? Yeah, it's just the level. You like, know, I humility see- lowers the ego and brings you back closer to like what's real reality. I think for our age, like yeah. if it's somebody in like junior high, like because some these kids will, some of them are getting bullied and some of them are yeah. carrying stuff. <clears throat> so in that way, like I am nice, like you know, try to find that middle ground. But yeah, like yeah, humility, like you know, do some squats, like do something, <laughs> like you you did something bad, like you know, you're not that great, like. Because uh, my girlfriend, she's subbing, and she said there's, like, this Asian kid in her class. Yeah. And, and, and the kid was, like, the kid took a math test and was, like, this is easy. And he finished. Yeah. And I was, like, I respect that. Like, you know, like, good. Like, the other kids should look at him and be a little bit, like, pissed, but also be, like, a, make it competitive. Right? We're mm. competitive in the gym, and that's okay. And we're competitive in the business world, and that's okay. But with little kids, we're, like... Oh, like, you know, be a little bit humble and like just say the test was... No, if the other kids are sucking at math, it's because they're not doing their fucking multiplications or division. You know, they're not working yeah. hard. Why it. should I diminish my own, like, capability to appease others? And we kind of <laughs> see that in, like, the black community a little bit. Like, when people would talk about Obama and they're like, oh, you sound white. Like, you know, like where it was like, mm. oh, if you were smart, you were like a nerd, right? And it's not just the black community, but it's like other communities too where... You need people in the reverse to be like, yo, look how fucking good I am at this, mm-hmm. right? Like, because when people are like, look how good am I at dancing or sports, then people are like, let me try to copy that move. Let me try to like make that catch. Let me train jujitsu the way he trained. Mm-hmm. But with intelligence, I think a lot of times we're like looking at it or people are looking at it like, oh, I just can't do it. It's like, fuck yeah, you can, you know? And maybe yeah. if that other person pushes your buttons a little bit by being like, oh, look how much better I am at this than you. Maybe that will inspire you. The the I can't do it is the reason why they can't do it. It's And that's usually taught. Like, mm-hmm. you might have heard something when you're young. You might have heard, like, even if it's like someone was talking about someone else, but you heard it and you thought they were talking about you. They're like, oh, that kid's dumb. You'll just go on the rest of your life believing that and believing that you're slow or you learn slowly. And of course, like that's how like the mind works. It focuses on that so, so much. Like you'll, you'll actually think like, fuck, I'm slow because so-and-so said I'm slow when I'm like, when I was like four, like, are you, are you actually slow or were you just like a four-year-old? Yeah. Like who was distracted or like stressed that day or whatever. It's, it's, this is the stuff I think about how, um, and I was explaining this before too in the car, like we're all sort of born the same. Like 
there's there's really very little doubt about that. We all have the same um, capability. And then there's our environment, and then there's epigenetics, and there's some genetic factor, but for, for the most part, it's like the people that are surrounding us and what we hear, and then what we interpret that as, and then how we see the world act out. And we'll just assume that that's the right way of doing things. And going back to what you said before about this, you know, this kid who is screaming in your face and you're like, yeah, let me talk to your parents. I guarantee the parents are the same fucking way. Yeah, they are because the parents told him to report me to the principal for verbal abuse. Yeah. If my kid did something (laughs) like that. I would smack my, yo, my parents would go to my teachers in junior high. This is in like 1990. <laughs> and they would be like, uh, if a noob is bad, you could hit a noob. And the teachers were like, uh, that we're not allowed to do that in America. And my, my parents would be like, oh, I know you're not allowed to do it, but if you wanted to, like, they would be like and I'm not saying that's right <laughs> or wrong, but if you wanted to, my like, pa- just, if, you, if you have the, you know, the, yeah, you want to just smack him a little bit. My parents mentality was yeah. you're a teacher. You yeah. are of high stature. You're important. I right. trust you. Yeah. Why am I going to trust this little kid that doesn't that doesn't know anything? Yeah. Where nowadays people are like, no, my little Timmy is like the best kid. Like, well, he might be the best around you, mm-hmm. but he might be a little shit like outside. Like you know, like and do you do you think as and as a, as someone who's been in the educational system for a while, do you think that it's become so diluted? And it makes it really challenging and hard to keep these certain standards high. And I'm, what I mean is there's just so many fucking schools and students. The level of education from the of the teachers is like, you know, at a certain p- place. But like, how good do you need to be to actually get a degree and, and get a, a license to teach and then start teaching? Like, How good do you really need to be? Yeah, not great. I, I teach a lot of teachers that are going to become yeah. teachers and they're terrible <laughs> at geography and where things are on a map and like math and different things. So I think this is like a thousand different cuts. It's so like saturated. And then also like most kids you look at, not most kids, a lot of kids are in school. Not because they want to be there or their parents want them to learn, but because their parents have no other choice. Like they're either, they're like both working and they need their kids to go somewhere mm-hmm. Or they're like, get the get these kids away from us because we don't want to deal with them. Like mm-hmm. in certain parts of the the world, in certain cities, right, in certain parts of the city. And so, like, how we, we make these sort of generalizations, but truthfully, every school is different, and every single teacher is different. Like, clearly, you give a shit and you want to see like kids grow up a certain way, but other teachers want kids to grow up a different way, and. It's hard to tell if there's a right or wrong here. It's really a matter of perspective and like ultimately, and, it's, and you can think about it this way, and this is how I, I'm beginning to see the world much differently now as I'm like learning and understanding how things have come to be, like how schools even started and became like normal. Kids are... Kids are basically products that we're developing. Yeah. They're they're also workers. And it doesn't really matter how they get developed, as long as they can function and do their jobs for the next like generation. 
all people are also people are like products. The schools are corporations. So are cities. Like every city is uh, is is technically a registered LLC and government too. And so if we, we there's really no difference between like corporate and government. It's, it's the same thing. They even have the same like operations, like the way that they function. And so when we begin to look at it that way and we realize it's for a purpose of profit because everything is like a city has to be profitable. It helps you to realize like, oh, we don't really have much say in this anyway. <laughs> yeah. I also don't think I'm the be all end all. Yeah. Like I know I'm one of the teachers. So like I have a friend, Vic, who's like, yo, I don't agree with you at all about like being yeah. mean and like, smacking <laughs> the kids. He's like, yeah, they're like, there's other ways to he, go about and this he's like, too. No, yeah. it's like, I very much believe in love. And I'm like, well, that's why you should also be a teacher and you do the love thing and I'll be the hard thing. Like you need yeah. all of the things. Like, so I'm not saying like everybody yeah. should be hard. It's like, there's got to be like a rhythm of everything. Yes. But if you, if you just eliminate one of the things, cause you're like nervous about how the kids are going to react. That's what's going to make them weak. If a student got exposed to all of the things and understood that all of them were good, were, were like, okay. Yes. Like they were all appropriate. That student would be more likely to like go out into the world and express however he decides instead of thinking it's like this way or not. Exactly. Or and you need like to have right, many wrong. different tools in your tool belt. Yeah. Right. Sometimes you gotta be tough. Sometimes you gotta be. And there's tough. limits. Like, like, don't smack kids for no reason. Yeah. No. And <laughs> I wouldn't smack a kid anyway. I like I, that's. But but the the discipline, it is necessary. Yeah, I just speak provocatively. Yeah. It's just <laughs> I'm talking about kids that were like that said they wanted to fight yeah. me. In that case, I'm like I'll definitely fight you. I would never do it to some kid because he got like the question wrong. You know, like I'm really curious to hear the feedback we get from this conversation from people listening. Um, because it's it's a controversial topic, of course, at least the the topic of like what to do with students. But the bigger topic here is the the um the philosophy around education and how kids learn and develop, which both you know you and I have had a lot of conversations about. Um, going back to and I would love to switch gears here. Going back to like what I just said about like how corporations and governments are really they function the same and cities are meant to be like profitable you have a lot of like passion around um the economy and how um how people can work together right um with your company your startup with renta and I imagine some other philosophies we can talk about when when did that all begin for you like when did you first realize like okay, we can do better here as a, as a society. So interestingly, I think it was around. So when I was younger, I went to college here in Staten Island, New Paltz. Like I also studied abroad in Mexico city and like Costa Rica. Like, so I, I did like a little bit of travel in my early twenties. And then, uh, I became a professor at the bar of Manhattan community college. And that was around the time Occupy Wall Street was happening. Mm. And, I got involved at Occupy Wall Street because I do think there's a lot of issues with income inequality, right? It's just you have people that have so much and people have so little and there's just this divide in humanity where people don't understand each other. Mm -hmm. And coming from like Mexico and different places, like I just saw a lot of poverty, India, like I was like, something needs to be done. And then while I was at Occupy Wall Street, I saw 
some of the people there were way too radical where I was like, shut the fuck up. Like, what are you saying? Like, end, end all capitalism, end all this. Like, part of me is like, to me, I view capitalism like gravity. Like, you can't, you can't say like, oh, we're going to end. No, people are going to work and have things and find things and discover things and try to leverage things to have some personal gain. Like, how are you going to tell them not to do th- mm-hmm. like, so to me, it's like, you got to find balance. And then, while I was at Occupy Wall Street, like a lot of uh, Wall Street dudes would come to Occupy Wall Street as like a thing, like a gimmick to be like, what the fuck is going on here? And I would talk to those dudes and I would always find some middle ground. Hmm. In the end, I think everybody wants, you're from some bumfuck town in India or bumfuck town in America. What do people want? Generally, they want to, have a relationship, have sex, get laid, right? Like that's one aspect. Yeah. Have some friends, have a decent job, maybe have a kid, and then have some hobbies. Yeah. Like ninety-eight percent of the world is pretty <laughs> much along those lines. Maybe yeah. they don't want to have kids, but they want to have some of those things. Okay. Right? Like so that's the middle ground. And then the idea is like, all right, how do we figure that out with money and work and time? And I think yeah. there's a lot of things that are neglected, like Populations increasing, technology increasing. Yeah. And meanwhile, everybody, what do they do? They go, this is Trump's fault or this is Biden's <laughs> fault. Like they're picking one person. Yeah, right. And we live in a world with 8 billion people and technological <laughs> mechanisms behind it. Yeah. Like social media changed the world. Like semiconductors are changing the world. Ukraine and Russia, like now there's fertilizer not being delivered. And then that fertilizer means food costs more money and food costs more money. People get more irritated. So then they get more irritated at their government. I think the wealth gap is a matter of education. Yeah. That it's just like just knowing like where it all comes from and then how to, how to get more of it. Yeah. But it's also, (laughs) if you, if you start off with money, you're it's, more likely to get to keep it. Yeah, yeah. to keep it. And uh, there was a guy, uh, Brofman. He ran Seagram's, like a billionaire. Yeah. And he was like, uh, making turning one million dollars into ten million dollars is difficult. Turning a hundred million dollars into a hundred and ten million dollars is inevitable. Yeah. Like it's just once you have it and you put it in a a fund. But you also know money. exactly how it works, like how it how it grows. Yeah, that too. But. but Here's here's I have a lot of opinions about wealth and, and economics, um, not even opinions, but understandings like I've, I've because I've I didn't come from money, mm-hmm. but I want money. Yeah. Like and this is a problem because I didn't come from money. So that so now my um, my understanding growing up, you know, is very much like uh, around like, you know, rich people are bad. Um, you need to have money to make money. Like I had all of these beliefs, but now I don't. Because I understand like that's none of that is actually true. Like money, money only works because we make it work. Money is not real. It's just an imaginary like symbolic piece of paper that trend that uh, sort of it symbolizes a transaction of what? Knowledge, trust, information, service provided. Here's the problem. Most people get paid like you can have a great job. But you get paid and then all that money is probably spent before you even mm-hmm. even touches your pocket. And and they're, they're part of that is taxes, okay? That's one thing. The other part is your expenses, your fixed expenses. But then what else? 
Like most people, instead of spending their money on like, well, most people are spending their money and they're putting it back into the economy, which is what the economy needs. Yes. That's what people want. I mean, that's what like governments want. They want you to take the money they give you and then put it back right back in so that the economy grows and and can stay and, and sustain. But once you start taking your money out of the economy and putting it into other things like corporations, like your own corporation or your own business or your own investments, it's no longer part of the economy. It's now part of your like your own economy. You're creating your own. And it's a matter of how can how fast can you grow your own economy? This is how wealth get, can get, sort of get generated because you're taking money and instead of spending it on things so that you get an immediate reward and return, like going out and drinking or buying shit, buying gifts, you know, buying fancy new cars. This is why people making more money and getting raises doesn't actually make them wealthier. Mm-hmm. It just makes them like have, you know, more stuff or better stuff or whatever. But it's hard to go from like 100K to a million. And then it's even harder to go up to 10 million. Like that's a, that's a massive gap. But once you're at that point, like you, you have this understanding like, oh, this is how it works. Yep. It's actually quite easy from what I've seen. I'm not there yet, obviously, but it's easy to get from like, you know, eight figures to nine. Yeah. It's just a matter of like, well, how much responsibility do you want? (laughs) Like how, yeah, take more chances. Uh, Economically, there's like an example that I love, uh, Bloomhouse. Yeah. He's a guy that makes uh, movies. Mm-hmm. And I always felt this about horror movies. Like when I was a young kid, I had friends that liked horror movies. I hated horror movies, but I know they loved it. And I was like, if I was rich, I would just make horror movies because you can make a shitty horror movie for like <laughs> $150,000 and people will watch it. Yeah. It's like porn. That's funny. Right? Pe- you can make the shittiest porn, but if there's two people fucking, people will watch it. Because mm, right? they're going to get like a, a, a little dose of dopamine yeah there. it was like that movie zach and miri made yeah. a porno they said like they're like if you know the person and you find out that they're in a porno chances are you're gonna be like i'm gonna just look at it right yeah. you just want it and so um brilliant like and i have a friend damien he made the movie terrifier he's from staten island and it, it took off so like shout out to him and yeah. i was like if i had money i would have invested in him and like it made money mm-hmm. so what bloomhouse does to go back to him uh he finds famous actors and directors and he'll say I'll give you $5 million to make a movie, but I'm going to give you like 20% on the back end, like a huge amount that people normally don't get. And he'll make 20 of these movies a year, but they better not ask for more than $5 million. They're not going to do it. So he has a $100 million budget to make 20 movies. And he got like M. Night Shyamalan to make one of these movies. And M. Night Shyamalan used to make a lot of money in the movies. But he's like, all right, I'll bet on myself. And plus he's like, I'm... He mm. takes like a Netflix type approach. I'm not telling you how to make the movie. I'm not telling you what to do with the script. I don't give a shit. You can make it. Yeah. And so out of these 20 movies, one of those movies was Get Out that made oh $400 million or $500 million. So that's it. He only needs one to succeed out of 20. Mm-hmm. And then he quadruples his investment. And if the other ones even break even, it's more than quadruple. It's like quintuple. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I mean by like having more money yeah. Makes it easier for you to make money because, yeah, he had a good tactic. Mm-hmm. But look, if I had this tactic in high school where I knew like, hey, I could invest in this. But he I'm had sure the, he had the mindset 
to use that tactic because you can do that at any level. It's just like harder to make, to get these massive gains, but you can like, if I say, Hey, a noob, I'm going to, and I've heard this specific um, example from someone like a noob. I have, um, 50 barrels of gasoline I'll sell to you at, at market value, right? Mm -hmm. Standard market value, whatever that is. What is your, what is your, um, reaction to that i don't know where i'd store it because gasoline is flammable so i'd be like so you're thinking about these things that's a different mindset Mm. right um here's another example i have i can either give you 50 barrels of gasoline at market value which is like a let's say it's a dollar 50 right so you make uh and there's like a hundred uh gallons in a barrel so seventy five thousand dollars or something like that i'm just estimating right or i'll give you a hundred k which one do you want Yeah, I might take the hundred k because I would look at it as like what's simpler, and then how can I leverage that money? Mm, okay. But if I think I knew people, yeah, to make money off of the gasoline, like I get what you're saying. Yeah. To me, it's a little bit also cost benefit analysis. If I can make a hundred k in ten hours right. versus two hundred k in two months. Right. Well, who's who's learning cost benefit analysis? Not very many. Exactly. People. Yeah, yeah. So the the the. The average person, even someone who has like a generally like a general um, generally like well off business is going to think that way. Someone who's like uh, in that eight, nine, ten figure range. Right. They're going to say, well, you know, how is the how are the barrels being transported to mm-hmm. me? Um, do, I, do I have to have them shipped to, directly to me or can I have them shipped anywhere? Great. And, and do then, you need insurance on the barrels? Do like I need a, insurance? They'll ask all these questions and then they'll make some phone calls and they'll sell the damn barrels mm-hmm. before they even it even comes into their possession. Mm-hmm. They're not concerned about the cash, mm-hmm. right? Most people, like, not most people, but a lot of, like, we can say people in poverty <laughs> with that mindset, it's a mindset, they'll take cash because there there's a fear that the cash is not going to be there again. Yeah. And this is the this is what I notice as the difference uh, in people who are generally wealthy and better off, and you know, living life on their terms and not being slaves to money. And then people who are um, unfortunate when it comes to money, like they, you know, they maybe make some money, but they tend to like get themselves in debt. It's that belief that the money's not going to be there tomorrow. It's a scarcity mindset. Mm-hmm. And if you believe like, oh, I better take this now and, and like use it or save it, you've already lost. Mm-hmm. And that's why I believe the wealth gap is a matter of education. The education on the, on your, how you, what you believe to be true about how this stuff works, one. And also like knowing what the fuck to do with it. Like how many, how many kids are taught about that? Yeah. In, you know, in elementary school where you can easily teach that into a third grader. So I think it's, <laughs> I think it's like a little bit of both. Cause when you say wealth though, it's hard for me to agree. Like if you say middle class, upper middle class, I think everybody has that ability to get there. Mm-hmm. Like you said, we're all capable. Right. And even if you have a hard upbringing, you can make it to middle class, upper middle class. Yeah. But like the wealth thing, like that guy Bloomhouse. If I gave. Well, how did he get there? 
How did he get? Well, the- that I don't know, but, but you're right. I'm just saying, like, if I gave a thousand other people a hundred million dollars to invest mm-hmm. in movies, they'd have no idea what the fuck to do with it. I think they would do just as good as Hollywood executives. You think so? Yes. Hollywood executives, what do they make? They make Marvel 2. Everything is a sequel. Nobody yeah. has any original ideas anyway. Well, Hollywood is another story. They're actually not... They're, Hollywood's been pretty much like net yeah. equal for okay, a so, while. So same example, Yeah. venture capital. Totally. If I gave a bunch of high schoolers a million dollars and I go, okay, invest this million dollars and I gave a bunch of venture capitalists a million dollars, yeah. they would do just as well. In fact, they might do better because they know what's trending up. Mm. Right. And then they might lose it. Cause like I said, you only need venture capital is the very same way as this guy Bloomhouse. Yeah. You only need you only one need out one of your 20. Yeah. And then your success. If you have a 5% hit rate, you're successful. I think high schoolers can figure that out too. If you gave them, if we gave them one year lesson, like, Hey, think about this, think about this. Right. If you gave trends, them the education, a little bit of education, but they, but they need to know how to, how to use it to leverage it, but they don't even know what leverage is. Yeah. But we can educate them that where, you, of course you where can. these VCs, a lot of them go to Harvard, Princeton, whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't think these kids need that level of education to be able to do. No, that kind they, of well, they go to Harvard, but that's not where they get their education. They get it when they're fucking four years old and they see their parents yeah. still home at, at 10 o'clock in the morning. Instead of like going to a job yeah. and they see, and they see their parents like come home at the end of the day or at the end, they're, they're hanging out at the end of the day instead of stumbling in drunk. Like that's the difference. Yeah. You can take a homeless person and make them a billionaire. It's unlikely because they're stuck in this mindset because all they're thinking is how their dad wasn't there for them and they were slaves to money and so anytime they see money they're going to they're they're going to start panting like a fucking puppy it's 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 a matter of i mean we can go way back it's a matter of like your traumas and your but your behavioral patterns that are established when you're fucking 7 you can also teach this stuff when with you know undoing some like uh some of these patterns um, and like I like I explained to you, like I didn't grow up. I was de- we were definitely middle class. We didn't have a lot of money. Like I, I didn't get things that I wanted that I asked for because money was a problem. Like we are, we had a house go into foreclosure when I was a kid, and mm-hmm. that's like a traumatic thing because I had no idea what what it all meant. I didn't know what that stuff meant at all. And anytime I would like think to myself like, oh, I wish I could be like, I wish I could have money and not have to worry about this. Like just thinking that is causing me to go deeper into that like spiral where when you stop thinking about the money aspect and you start thinking about the um, results aspect, like the creation, like this guy who has like um, Bloom, Bloomfield, right? Bloomhouse, Bloomhouse, like whatever. He doesn't give a fuck about the money. He has the money. He has the wealth. It generates wealth so that he can go and do whatever the fuck he wants. He's thinking about the result of what that money gives him. He can he gets to support and give artists an opportunity to create whatever they want. It takes money to do that. I I guarantee like the the 5 million dollar restriction if that's true is giving the artists a sense of urgency and restriction so that they have to be more creative. If you try to play a guitar with one string, you're going to be way more creative than someone with six strings. The, when you have less and then you also have that mindset, you actually get more opportunity. You can, you can be more creative and find ways to, to innovate 
That's where innovation comes from, from restriction. But the, 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 the wealth aspect, it's something that's learned over years and has nothing to do with like the, the degree, the education, like whatever. It's just n knowing, like deeply knowing the difference and knowing what to do. Like, I'm sure if you give high school students, like, you know, 10 high school students, a million dollars, one of them might be successful. One of them is going to try some stuff. Like they might open some businesses or they might do something, but down the, you, you track them a year down the line. They're going to fuck up. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, they might fuck up in their life, meaning like drugs and whatever. But if it comes to just picking the right company to succeed, I would bet like my pinky toe that they would do just as good as other venture capitalists. It depends on how, right, as a venture capitalist, but it, it depends on how, like what involvement they have. Like if they have the involvement and they have to be the CEO, if like they just, Oh no, no, <laughs> I'm not talking about being CEO. Yeah. The venture capitalists aren't CEO. I'm saying they have to read pitch decks. People go to them with ideas like shark tank. Hey, this is my company. Do you want to invest? Yeah. Yes or not. And they have 10 companies that come to them and they have 10 companies that go to the VCs. I think the high school kids <laughs> and, and look, I've been, shitting, I just had a great idea for a TV show kids the entire time. <laughs> yeah. The people that invested in Snapchat, the reason yeah. they invested in Snapchat is because their kids were using Snapchat yeah. in Beverly Hills. It's the same thing with Facebook. It's the same thing with everything. Oh, my kids are <laughs> using this. I'll use it. So the kids would have known. Kids know. Dude, I just, this funny idea. Imagine uh, a Shark Tank type show where there's money in, but the, the people who make decisions are the kids of the, of the, uh, the sharks. So like they bring their kids in and like they ask the questions and they're like, and they make the decisions. That I, would be so awesome. I would watch that. And I love Shark Tank. And I've been noticing more and more on Shark Tank where I think like Damon said something like, you know what? I wouldn't use this, but my daughter would use this. Yeah. And then he was like, I'm going to invest in your company. I want you to make my daughter like an advisor because she's going to help me with this. Mm. And I think they're starting to realize like I'm learning from my kids as well. And now they're in a position where they could do whatever the fuck they want. So yeah. like a regular person can't say that. You'll be like, <laughs> why would you trust your kid? But yeah, I think... That would be interesting. There's, Because they're in tune with certain things. And there have been studies before, just regular people asking them about stocks and asking stockbrokers about stocks. Mm -hmm. The regular people did better because stockbrokers were fed information. They're biased. Yeah, Yeah, because people are always going up to them like, yo, have you heard about this? You do this, look into this. Mm -hmm. Where regular people, nobody's talking about them about stocks, but their ears are tuned and they'll be like, oh, I heard something about this. Mm. And, then, and then they'll bring it. And so... the for them they're a little bit more freer yeah and there's definitely education to a lot of this and i know i've been shitting on like people like, on this <laughs> podcast but there is also i don't know i do believe that people also have this essence where they could create wealth if they had a starting point mm. if, if somebody gave them like a million and it was like hey cherish this now do the right thing with it and figure it out how to use it yeah i think some people give them some guidelines like you you can use this to try to grow more right you yeah. can't go and buy cars and houses. You have to use it to try to make more of it. Exactly. Right. I I imagine some like they'll they'll take it and they'll be like, oh, what the fuck do I do? I'll go try something. Like let me go invest in my buddy or whatever. I'll buy real estate. I'll buy some construction. Yeah, yeah. I'll start a bar. Like I do think now, honestly, it's way easier to cross the gap, cross the wealth gap if you did get access because there's so much information out there. Yes. Like I can Google, what do I do with a million dollars if I want to make 10 and it, it, ask chat GPT and it'll tell you yep. step by step, do this first, call this person next. Like you have everything there. Mm -hmm. If you have the, 
um, self-control to do that. Exactly. Because they say lottery people end up bankrupt because I also Sometimes, think it's, those yeah. are the types of people that are buying like the lottery tickets. But yeah. I'm curious if they've like ever done a study on like people that say we're given money because like somebody then you died or something like, you know, some aunt. Mm. And then how did they end up with that money? Like, yeah. did they have the same rate of loss as the people that tend to buy lottery tickets? Because maybe they have a mentality of just buying and spending where the maybe... If a regular person was bequeathed like some money, they might be like, all right, I got to use this wisely. Like an inheritance. Because yeah. I was also talking to my students about this, and I'd like your opinion on this. So New York City spends $2 billion a year on dealing with homelessness. $2 billion. That's like, mm-hmm. and we probably hired like 10,000 people working at the yeah. Department of Homeless Services. That's part of the $2 billion, as well as social workers, shelters, etc. Yeah. And we have 70,000 homeless people in New York City yep. on any given time. And it's $2 billion every year. So the last five years, we've spent $10 billion. Yep. If we gave every homeless dude mm-hmm. 30 grand, yeah. that would be less than $2 billion. Sure. And I bet you, because they've done some studies at a smaller scale. They did this in England where they asked people, what do you need? Mm-hmm. They did it with like 30 people. Yeah, some of them would do well. It was 85% of them did well where they were like, I need a van. Like I used to have a moving business. Like I need this. And then they had their, the chunk that helped them and they no longer needed it. Mm -hmm. Now, when I told my students this, I was like, should we do this? They were like, no, it's Mm going to be a waste. And, and I get what they're saying because they're like, these people are going to spend the money wrongly. But it's also like, well, our city is spending it wrongly, technically, because we're spending 2 billion a year and we haven't solved the homeless issue. Yeah. So so imagine just giving the two billion to the seventy thousand mm-hmm. people. If forty thousand get out of homelessness, or good, there's only thirty thousand left. Yeah. We look at it from a macroeconomic level, though, right? A grander scale, right? The is the and you got to ask this question: Is the goal to eliminate homelessness? I mean, that's the idea, right? That we want. I don't know. Is that the goal? I think it should be the goal. Like, the, like you said, there's two million annual spend on um, the homeless problem or homelessness, but is the goal of that to eliminate homelessness? There's a lot. There's so many factors. One, like, there's, there's the people factor. Do these people want to change? Mm-hmm. Maybe. I've. I haven't done much research on this, but I've my understanding is like some of these, some homeless people like legitimately like their life. Yeah. They, there's mental health like issues. There's, there's mental health issues. issues. And so you're bringing abuse. in all these other issues like these mental health problems, drug problems. There's another way to look at it too. And this might uh, turn some people off. Um, homeless people are part of the economy um, as homeless people. They have to be homeless. And what I mean by that is, the spend, the $2 billion a year being spent is um, likely on like food, salaries, shelters, things like that. Yeah, salaries and shelters. That are all in operation and money is flowing through it. So, so the way that money works, imagine like a building that has pipes, like a plumbing, right? Anytime you add a new room or an extension to the building, you now need more water going through it. When, the, when we add this like homeless problem thing, they're adding like maybe ten thousand new jobs 
that's like adding an extension to a building that now needs water to run through it. And so we have to add more money into the economy. Once it's there, it's really hard to get rid of. Like it, like we can't just take it away. And so it becomes an issue of like, do we really want to help these people and eliminate homeless? Like it's, dude, it would be so fucking easy to just build a fucking like a couple of hotels and house them and then give them some cash and give them like a stipend like this. There's a solution. Sure. But what are you also losing in that? Like who's not going to have a job because of that? And then those homeless people who are coming into the workforce, whose jobs are they taking over? Yeah. So there's so many different levels to it. Like I do think there's a fair amount and this is like my, sort of pseudo narcissistic opinion. Like I don't give a fuck about like, I, I love people, but there's also 8 billion of them. Right. So <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a fair amount of like unemployment and homelessness that needs to be present at this point. See, I agree. with And you. it may be like 2% of what there is right now. <laughs> yeah. I agree with you when, if you said, uh, labor, yeah. You need a certain amount of uneducated people to do jobs that we don't want. And and this is why I say Republicans lie mm. when they say they don't want illegal immigration. They love illegal immigration because yeah. if they're the ones that have small businesses, go to any restaurant in the fucking country <laughs> and there's illegal immigrants there. Yeah. Like you could call the cops up right now. They're not going to arrest those illegal immigrants because it's not a problem. As yeah. They need that cheap labor. So homelessness, I look at it as a little bit different because it's like vagrancy. It lowers property value. Like it can really yeah. like lead to crime. So if we wanted to solve that issue... And yeah, my mentality is that you, you're right. It could take away jobs from other people, but I also think maybe some of those people could create jobs. Sure. And at least you get them off the street. Sure. But really, it was just a discussion of money and like, yeah. we're spending $2 billion a year to be like, all right, here's a band aid where. Isn't that wild though? We're like, it's coming out of taxes. It's also, most of it is non existent. Like the money that we're spending on that doesn't even exist. It's, it's numbers in a, in a bank account being shifted and being taken and borrowed on mm -hmm. loan from other other countries other corporations by the way and and even like jet like legitimate corporations in america money being borrowed from corporations to fund government uh, projects like home homelessness and so like we, we look at the the problem here it's it's our it's really just a reason to like fund a piece of the economy it has nothing to do with the homeless situation mm -hmm. and here's another interesting aspect that you brought up because we can look at some cities that have greater homeless pop populations, it'll naturally happen um, as um, the economy shifts. New York is a really great um, example here because in during the Industrial Revolution, New York was like the place to be and job like everyone had a job during the Industrial Revolution. And now, sure, a lot of there's a lot of tech jobs and a lot of office jobs and like there's a ton of jobs in New York, but also there's way less production and need for it. And so there's, there's just leftover people that have to go somewhere. Mm -hmm. Some of them are moving, right? And you start looking in other cities, LA, um, Austin, San Francisco, DC, like the homeless populations have skyrocketed mm -hmm. because people are migrating and they have n no nothing to do there because those locations don't have the infrastructure yet to main, to man, to maintain them. And so as there's ebbs and flows in our, in our, uh, in our economy, 
like jobs are literally shifting from place to place to place, the infrastructure sort of has to catch up. Mm-hmm. I saw this, I was in Austin, Texas earlier this year, and they grew by about, the population there grew by about 700,000 in the last three years. Wow. Isn't that fucking wild? It's a lot. It might be inaccurate on the, the time. It might might have been five to ten years, but still, it's a lot of new people. And I also noticed there was a lot of construction. And so there's new buildings going up, new like new roads. Houses are also... Um, like some of them that are older aren't like really doing so well. They need to be um, like repaired and need new infrastructure. And so their problem, the problem with the homeless there is that they really don't have any place to go. Even if they have jobs because the city is like, they're trying so hard to just keep up and catch up. New York is a different story. Like we have the, the, the infrastructure, we have the, the places, we have the work even, and so you could look at the quality of homeless <laughs> in a way, in quotes there, you know, is the quality different? Are the people in New York City, have how long have they been homeless? Yeah. Right. And, and that's, that brings up the question of like, are these the type of people you want to invest in and give money to? Maybe, maybe not. It's, it's such a big question. It's why I just leave myself yeah, out of it you know <laughs> it's just something it's an interesting thought experiment because also it is yeah the downside is hey i'm a regular person can i get 35 grand sure. you know and it'll change my life so that's yeah. why we can't do it because then it's gonna be like everybody deserves it but it's also like yeah there's this problem we spend two billion dollars a year on it but could we spend that two billion dollars a year wiser but it's gonna not make us feel good yeah. you know but it but it's probably better medicine than just Dude, continuing. Everyone, I don't know. everyone thinks like, oh, I could do that. I have a better idea. I could do that better. Like, give me that money. I'll do it. I'll, I'll change. I'll do something different. But it's ultimately going to come down to like the fact that there's 8 billion people on this earth in, in the, the U.S. All right. 300 and something million, maybe. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Can you even not, like think about how many people that is? Probably not. You can't even think about it. Yeah. Like you could probably picture 10 people or 40 people. Yeah. Stadium of a hundred thousand. <laughs> but then it's like also like now multiply that by 80 and then multiply that. By Can 80. you even imagine that? And then also this, each individual person has their own like <laughs> drama going on mm-hmm. in their head. And so like, it's unfathomable the world's economic problems. Yeah. Which you can participate in or not, by the way. You don't have to participate. You can choose to opt out of all these economic problems. Well, that's where, uh, if, I, if, I could talk about, <laughs> if I could talk about Renta real quick. Yeah, day. please do. Because like Renta, like, so my way, my idea, my arrogant idea of trying to solve some of the world's economic problems is uh, we all have too much stuff. Yeah. And we all have skills that we don't leverage enough. And so like the idea behind Renta was actually to create a new Craigslist. And so you could rent out any good service or space that you have. So not everybody in the neighborhood needs a lawnmower, right? And if you need a tutor, maybe you could get a tutor on like Upwork or something and Zoom them, or maybe there's somebody down the block. And so I kind of want to just build better communities and have people uh, link up together, right? And, And smaller. Yeah. And think simpler as opposed to, Everything needs to be like a billion dollar idea. Like, hey, if you uh, rent the pressure washer instead of buying it, like now that 10 bucks you rented it for stays in the community. Yeah. 
And I want to just do like a million things like that. Mm. Right? And so, Matt, you could rent out yourself as a CrossFit instructor and then you could rent out your podcast gear. And if you podcast gear breaks, maybe you could rent it from somebody in the neighborhood. Right. We all mm -hmm. have skills and I want to help people monetize those skills because like you're saying, it's so hard macroeconomically and technology and so many people are losing jobs. Like one person we had on the app, she was like, hey, I'm really good at making people's dating profiles. Mm. You know how many that's useful. Yeah. Yeah. Why wouldn't you spend 25 bucks for this girl to look at your dating profile for an hour? If that helps you get laid once, <laughs> that's so worth it. Huge, right. Huge ROI. Yeah. Because technically, if you if you needed to get laid and a prostitute costs like $250. Right. And then, so here's somebody <laughs> for $25 that's going to help you. Oh, my God. Find something for free. Like, so that should be the, the 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 headline, the copy in her in her profile. <laughs> like, why spend $250 on a, on a hooker when you could spend 100 bucks on me? And somebody might like you. And, and, I'll, I'll, and I'll, actually find love. And like. you'll get consistent dates. You'll get consistent dates. Oh, my so. God. I want people to be a little bit more creative yeah. when it comes to how do you make money. There was a woman, she listed her. How long do you think it'll take? And I know we've had this conversation, but how long do you think it would take like people on a, on a, even on a small scale to shift their thinking, to shift the way they use things so that they are exchanging with their neighbors. I think they've already started to do that you a little so? bit and they just need to be pushed. I remember in 2008, 2009, people were like, I would never use Airbnb. I would never yeah. rent out my home. It happened and fast. Yeah. What, what happened in 2008 was there's a housing crisis mm -hmm. and people lost their jobs and they needed money and they were like, oh, I could make 200 bucks this weekend. Now I'll do it. Yeah. They didn't like the idea was always the same. Yeah. Their circumstances changed. Right. So the need is what changed. And then they see this, this like opportunity, like, Oh, it's been there all the time. But now I really see the reason why it's for me. Yes. Right. So that's, that's what I imagine is, is going to happen over time where people are like, okay, I don't really need to do it right now. Cause I can maybe afford to go out and buy my own lawnmower and just have it just in case. Right. But what if there's not enough lawnmowers? Exactly. Right. What if you can't go to the store and buy the thing you need and you're like, fuck, I got to ask Joe across the street who I don't even like, but he has this thing that I need. Oh, wait, I should just be a good neighbor. And, and also if you're give him 10 bucks. Yeah. If you're environmentally aware. <laughs> yeah. Everything you buy is coming from the ground. Mm. So that lawnmower needs metals. It needs oil. It needs electricity. It needs to be yeah. transported. It needs to be moved the best thing you could do for the environment is not buy anything, right? That thing already yeah. exists now in your neighbor's yard. Now you just use it. And if you're the type of person that's like, look, I want to buy something. So I have it. You rent it out. This yeah. is why it works both ways. I'm right, not so putting rent it out. Yeah. Yeah. Rent it out and start making some money. Now your lawnmower ends up being free for, uh, after two years or say you only make 30 bucks and the lawnmower costs you 300 bucks. You just help that three of your neighbors. Yeah. You God got your forbid, tax back. God forbid there's like a snowstorm or something and you need help. Mm -hmm. That person will probably come to help you because now you've already engaged yeah. that person once or twice. Like that's the whole idea to start getting it loose. So I don't think it's like changing people's mentality totally because I think this exists in it our does. mindset. Yeah. And it used to exist during the depression. It used to exist older in mm -hmm. American history. But we could just became super consumers. Yeah. I think we need to just kind of go back. So I know we've talked about this before, just one on one about like how you can make this more honestly, more successful. Right. Because you have <laughs> you have like 10,000 10, or so users or something mm -hmm. like that, which is good. 
you definitely want in the millions yes. because that's when you know you're actually making an impact. You can have more measurable data like yes. and all these things. And I know you recently took off uh, payment yeah. from it, but it's still an option. Like people can pay. They can just Venmo each other, right? No, I want you guys to pay each other. And that's why yeah. I called it Renta. Yeah. Every rent. other company, Uber, Airbnb, they said they were part of the sharing economy. Yeah. And then they lied. And then they, they sold. They sold. Yeah. Where I called Which, myself well, Renta. Well, they took a, they took a share. Exactly. Yeah. I'm calling myself Renta because I want you guys to do that and I'm not even taking a share. You're not taking a share. Yeah. No, but I want that mentality there. Like It's renting because, you know, like sometimes I'd want to smoke a cigarette and I'd yeah. ask people, can I get a cigarette? But sometimes I'd more often than not, I'd be like, oh, can I give you a dollar for a cigarette? And then people just <laughs> give it to me for free. Hey, it would actually be really funny. <laughs> I don't know why I had this thought. If you, um, what's that? Are you doing a yeah, we're almost done. We we could just talk for hours. This is a noob, by the way. We nice trained we've been, we trained jujitsu together. I don't know why I just had the idea. Like if you had a, um, <laughs> well, you could just have a pack of cigarettes on renta and like put like people can rent one. But how do you how do you give it back? Like you have to be able to give it yeah, back. Yeah, right? it, so it's not really renting at that point. <laughs> exactly, and that's why services is like a little thing. Like if somebody wanted to rent you, like to teach them CrossFit or mm -hmm. business or like life coaching. The idea is like, they're not buying your time, they're kind of renting your time because you're going to go back yeah. to do your time. So it's just like mm -hmm. this mentality of also like, hey, things are temporary and use it when you need it and when you don't mm -hmm. need it, like live cutter, clutter free and like just mm -hmm. a little bit more minimalistic, but save some of that money and save some of that energy and maybe mm -hmm. experiment. Like there might be people like, oh, I should get paid for this. Yeah. And they don't know where to promote themselves or how. Like, and they right. start there. And then they realize they can turn it into a business. Yeah, do yeah. it for free for some people. Mm -hmm. I tell the girls in my class that want to get into fashion, like, dude, there's a lot of divorced men that have no idea how to dress themselves. Like, you know, like, mm -hmm. help them. Like, I am guarantee you they give you 250 bucks, go to the mall, pick out everything they need. And be that's a consultant. It. Yeah. yeah be, and then now you're like, oh, you did that 10 times? I know people that have, um, like, personal fashion consultants and shoppers and they just lay out all their clothes for them yeah <laughs> like i think all of those things are like skill sets, types of yeah. businesses that could be existing in the future mm -hmm. and maybe that's not going to be a primary well, they, I, source of income but a little something the, being in that sort of that economy now as um with what i do like business consulting and, and coaching um i do see a lot of different people just utilizing their very unique skill sets and talents to fill a, a need in like a, in a niche group and it, it's happening everywhere. And you wouldn't even hear about it because it's not like this big corporation or this big type of business. Um, but there's people making a ton of money doing things just like that. Mm -hmm. What it, the thought that I had, um, and this might be, might be useful for you actually is like, um, I don't know where I heard this. I think it was on a podcast recently. There's this, um, when you're sort of starting a business, you know that you want to get into a niche or a community. And I know you've talked about like wanting to help the greater population. Yeah, sure. But, um, well, and think about, think about it this way, right? There's already a community of people doing this sharing. Yeah. How do you access them? And it's not a matter of creating your own community. It's getting in with that community that already exists and maybe unifying them, right? Just, creating the platform for people who are already doing the thing and you're just making it easier. Mm -hmm. Right. But I'm, I'm interested. I'm curious if like promoting it as like, you know, sharing for free, 
like not you don't have to charge because like that's how craigslist works really well is well i mean anyone could go on craigslist but there's like a free section but i'm I'm like curious like do you have to be renting can you just like share with your neighbors of course you could because that's happening all the time i wanted to leave right? it up to people like if we don't have a cheese grater we can knock on the yeah. door and i've never done that i don't know if exactly. would you do that val would you rent a borrow a cheese grater? No, I don't think so. <laughs> but the idea is like, yeah, a cup <laughs> of sugar. If you know your neighbors, you should do that. Renters shouldn't need to exist. Yeah. You know, like, but the thing is, we don't know our neighbors and we don't know so many people. And so now maybe this could Ooh, be that. Yeah, so it gives you a platform to like meet your neighbors. Exactly. And That's what I kind of meant by that cigarette analogy. Like, yeah, they were going to give it to me anyway. But when you go, hey, I'll give you a dollar. They were always like, no, yeah. here, just take like, you know, and it was kind of mm-hmm. like, oh, thank you for offering, but I don't need it. And that's kind of like this where. See, I would say yes. Sure. Yeah. It, <laughs> either way, like and the same thing with the lawnmower. Maybe the first time somebody like takes 20 bucks, but the next time they're like, all right, you just do this. But. Yeah. Once in a while, hey, pick up my Amazon box when I'm not home, you mm-hmm. know, and then like they even it out and they help each other. And that's like part of being in a community. Mm. And yeah, maybe there's some money saved in that. I think process. we just got your angle for like an ad. I imagine like someone so like neighbors helping each other out and then also exchanging some money for a lawnmower or a leaf blower or whatever. It's environmentally friendly. Yeah. It helps local economies and communities. Mm-hmm. And the idea is like just like the simplicity, like. Whatever you want to do. You want to charge money? Venmo each other. Yeah. Is the new app ready yet? Uh, it will be in April. Yeah. Not right now, but it's so close and I'm like so excited. And yeah, I've been we've been working on this for like eight years. And so a lot of building and then destroying, then building and destroying. And like you said, how do I tap into that community? Mm-hmm. I'm hoping that community now goes, oh shit, these guys have been around for eight years. They're legit of who they are. Yeah. Right. And hopefully that authenticity Transit. You've been saying hopefully a lot. <laughs> yeah, because I, I, I'm not a, I'm more of a teacher. Like, you know, when it comes to the teaching stuff, I know what I know. Yeah. With the business stuff, I think I know what I know, but like I'm not 100% certain yeah. because I, I haven't succeeded yet. Yeah. Once I do succeed, then I'll be a lot more confident in my speech patterns. Hmm. Yeah. I like to, I like to be the conf- be confident first mm-hmm. and then, and then look for this. <laughs> but I also think about things. And, you know, from maybe this like can resonate, like I like to think about businesses and creating new things from a, like, you know, when you're a kid, I don't know if you had a, like a, had like a chemistry set or something, you can mix certain things together just to see what happens, you know, and you try things and you mix levels and then there's science fairs and you're told to like come up with an experiment. Like, that's how I like to think. And you can look at business the same way. Like if I do this and this, I think this will happen. This is the hypothesis. I'm really curious. And if not, why? And what, am, what do I need to do differently to make this thing happen? Mm-hmm. Right? And I, when you look at it from that level, going back to what we talked about before with the jujitsu, like, like having an intention in your training, your practice, you can correct yourself faster, right? so you don't need the ten thousand hours. Yeah, you can save yourself a lot of time. I used to have this saying: uh, "You could hope for the best, or you can work for the best." <laughs> like, instead of doing like the next best thing, do the best thing. <laughs> yeah. What's the best thing right now? What's what am I gonna be able to accomplish with everything that I have? 
Uh, and then part of it too is be cocky and arrogant sometimes. Yeah. Like the, it gets you somewhere. And then like, if, as long as you're finding ways to back it up, back up your, your arrogance, like I was right or I was wrong, like being totally transparent with that. I mean, yeah, I try to find that balance with cocky and I mean, in the <clears throat> end, I believe in myself and I you still do. believe yeah. it's going to work. I'm just a, a little humble and like, I don't know the right formula <laughs> yet, but I still believe like I'm going to figure out that formula and I've never quit. You know, in terms of yeah, like I mean, what eight I've tried years. to do. Longer. Like, Technically, I incorporated in 2013, October. So really? like, and then like the first website came out two and a half years wow. later. And I did it because no tech companies gave me jobs. So I needed to start my own tech company. Like, you know, and then yeah. <laughs> now I'm just like figuring it out the right routine. But yeah, I agree with you about the confidence and like a little bit of the arrogance and act as if. But I think also like in this conversation we've discussed, it's knowing how to navigate through like all the different emotions. It's the hard part. The right thing in the right yeah. tool belt, you know, sometimes you gotta be humble. Sometimes you gotta be arrogant. You gotta know how to do all mm -hmm. the things the right way. Yeah. I think that's a good place to end. Yeah. We've been to, I said 45. Oh, it's an hour and a half. Hour and a half. Perfect. Twice as long. I could go for three hours. I know. This, um, is, this is an easy talk. I appreciate the way you ask questions. And, uh, yeah. All the help you give in the videos. Sure. Yeah. Eventually. I would love to be able to. Give it a sense of